When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, October 22nd, 2021. I'm Maggie Lake, and with me today is Jim Bianco of Bianco Research. Before we dive in, let's just take a quick snapshot of U.S. market action, particularly equities, because they are just closing. And we had a little bit of a mixed picture. Once again, the S&P pretty much flat, may just close out and break that, uh, snap that seven-day winning streak. The NASDAQ definitely lower. Uh, Dow seemed to be bucking the trend and, and able to keep its head above water. Tech stocks hard hit today, led by steep declines in snap. The social media company warned that Apple's privacy rules and supply chain concerns were hurting ad spending. That kind of took down the whole social media space. Uh, snap stock down 25%. Um, Jim, great to see you. Thanks for being with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. So do, does this look like when you're looking at when we're looking at the equity market picture, does this look like a kind of a temporary news driven sell off? Or should those who are holding long positions in big tech kind of be rethinking that? Well, I, I think the problem with big tech is there's a narrative out there in the market that higher interest rates, tech is a long duration asset, impacts tech. Uh, that's never been the case until a few months ago. And I suspect that in another few months, that will stop being the case again. But it seems to be the narrative that we drive on the market right now. So, you know, you look to the bond market, you, we saw 170 yields this morning on the 10 year, backed off a little bit by the end of the day, and tech wobbled. So yep. that seems to be the narrative that we're driving. But beyond that, um, I, you know, the market seems to be in a strong uptrend. The flows continue to move into the market right now. There is a record amount of cash in checking accounts because of stimulus checks from the spring, something like three and a half trillion dollars. We've never seen a number even close to that. And it's fueling everything from the market with um, it going higher to products and inflation and even causing the supply chain problem as well, too. Yeah, money, money chasing everything. We know one thing it's chasing today, and that is the SPAC that everyone has been talking about, digital world acquisition, the, the SPAC that's going to house, I, I guess, Donald Trump's social media company. I mean, th this thing is, even people have been looking at big moves in, in stocks for a long time, can't get over what's been happening here. Yeah, I think that uh, they, they forgot. They forgot January. It's a meme stock. It's a Reddit-driven meme stock. I think what they they they, they fall in the mistake of thinking, oh, Reddit-driven meme stocks, that's GameStop and that's AMC. No, it's whatever these guys decide is going to be the next stock, and they really jumped on it, you know. And it's it's got all the characteristics of a meme stock. How did it do today? Well, it was up 100% today. It was also 50% off of its high of the day too. So if you could tell me whether it was a good day or a bad day uh, for for that stock as well. So I, I think that you know it's it's got it's got that Reddit crowd going with it. It's only of I think about now currently around three billion dollars of market cap. So it's not tremendously large. And they can keep running with it for a while if that's what they want to do. 
Yeah. Is there is there any reason to think, you know, that SPACs are a little bit different than other, you know, other vehicles? And, you know, there's been a lot of talk. They were they were all the rage and then they kind of fell out of favor. And then, you know, people are and we, we saw some of the hedge funds that were in early on that investment sell and get out. Do, do, do people need to understand anything particular about that? Are you a fan of them? Or are you not? How should they think about the fact that layered on to the fact that it's got all this enthusiasm coming from from social media, perhaps behind it, that it's a SPAC as well. Is that cautionary well, or it doesn't matter? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things in there. First of all, I am a fan of SPACs for this reason. <laughs> they are competition for late stage venture capital. <laughs> and what's typically happened in the last few years is company ramps up, you know, it becomes a unicorn worth a billion dollars. And then all these rich people come in and throw a bunch of money into it six months before it goes public and they make a quick triple or quadruple on their money. And the public's thinking, well, why can't we get in on it at that point? That's what a SPAC is going to allow you to do. But in the case of a lot of these SPACs like Digital World, what are you? what is it? It's, it's a pile of cash and a promise that we're going to buy some stuff and it's going to be great and wonderful. Okay. That's not analyzable. You know, you, yeah. you, they, there, there's nothing there that exists yet. It's a pile of money with the promise that they're going to go out and get something um, in the future. So for the meme stock crowd, this is great because they could take it to whatever price they want to. And it's almost impossible to say it's overvalued or it's undervalued. There's no cash flow. There's no balance sheet yet. All there is is cash and a promise. Yeah, that, that's really that's a really, really good point. So if you're going to do that and play with that, you got to know the money you're playing with and and whether you need an exit strategy. And if it's not something that you can afford to lose in case you are the last hands holding it before it turns and we do get some more numbers beneath that, you know, beware. So that, that's a that's a great explanation. And I love your point about the venture capital. There's been a lot of discussion recently about whether that needs to change because so many companies have been staying private for so long um, that it is kind of fueling that frustration. It is the, are, are you surprised that we are still seeing that? I mean, there had been a conversation that maybe that was a moment in time. And I don't even know. I always, we were just discussing before the show, I kind of hate the, hate calling them meme stocks um, because I think it has sort of a, a, a judgment on it. But is that just going to continue? Is that the nature of the market now that you're going to have these ideas spring up from online discussion platforms that people are going to run with? Yeah, I think it is. And you could I, say I, metals I, are that, right? I mean, you, you could, you've seen a lot of action in metals, and I feel like that kind of feels like that, too. I haven't heard yeah. any people talk about uranium in my life. Right, exactly. I, I do think it is, and I do think that people use the word meme as pejorative. They, yeah. They're trying to knock it down a little bit. But the fact of the matter is, in 2021, there's very little data that isn't in the price. Everybody knows the cash flows. Everybody knows the balance sheets. Everybody knows the technicals. Everybody knows the fund flows of all of this stuff. So it really, what drives markets on the margin is narratives. And we don't, sometimes we like the narratives. Look, some people have gone as far, and I, I agree with it, that you know the PE is a narrative uh, you know, as well, too. So Yes, narratives will drive companies. They've always driven companies. We called them story stocks in yeah. previous generations, and, and it's more of the same. So now it's more centralized, and it's on a social media platform. Twitter's another big social media platform where you get this going all the time mm -hmm. uh, as well, too. And it's more democratized as well. And so a lot of people, you know, they run with these names, and they take them too far in the case of 
AMC and GameStop, if you look at their their all-time highs uh, back in January. So I do think that this is a big part of the game. And it's a generational thing, too. The older the investor gets, the more they push back on memes. Oh, that doesn't matter. Well, they do. And, um, and the younger the investor gets, the more they push back on fundamentals. Oh, who cares about what the P.E. ratio is? Well, it does matter, too. Yeah. But, you know, I, you, you know, you have to have a blend of both of those together. That's so wise, Jim. And and uh, I'm, I'm saying it right here. We're bringing back story stock. I like calling it that so much better because that's what it is. I mean, that's what we're, you know, right. that's what we're really talking about. And I think that 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 is a more neutral term for it. Um, I think that's fantastic. So I'm, I'm crediting you in the footnotes, but that, that is what I am going to call it's it. It's just the name on. from the past. I, I it got is. In my that's Delor- why the past matters. That's why we need right. it, right? <laughs> I got in my DeLorean and I went back and I figured out that word again. <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> we'll take yeah. it. Um, listen, you know, we have, uh, you know, a, a lot of this you mentioned is being fueled by liquidity. Jerome Powell uh, talking today, I, th- I said earlier, he's talking to BIS. I think he was actually talking to South Af- <laughs> at a South African bank event. Uh, so my, my correction on that, but um, he was talking and saying they're on track to taper uh, and also saying, uh, agno- kind of acknowledging this inflation story, saying the risks are clearly now to longer and more persistent bottlenecks, although I think he would still keep it in the transitory camp um, if we even want to use that term. What do you, what, you know, we certainly have seen big moves in, in the bond market this week. Where, are, where do you fall on the inflation story and the rate outlook? Well, first of all, I, I got to, you know, say I did watch uh, Jay Powell's comments. It was a virtual summit with the, the Central Bank of South Africa. And the BIS had uh, Karsten uh, Augustin was also part of it. It was Good. great because Powell's mic didn't work and there was this real bad feedback and they dumped them twice and got them back. Everybody spoke. Half the words were, can you hear me? I'm, you know, hello. You know, it was it was like your worst Zoom conference you ever were part of uh, as well. But beyond that. The two things that kind of came out of it was uh, there was a pushback a little bit. Yes, inflation is going to be transitory. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Karsten um, Augustine of the BIS basically used the there was a joke going around that pretty soon they're going to say that it's persistently transitory. And people said that as a joke. He actually said that today uh, (laughs) as well, too. So they've become caricatures of themselves. Uh, as well. And Paul did recognize that there is a little bit of a concern because the inflation data is much more robust than they've ever expected. Mm. And then he went on to say, but we have tools to deal with it in case it does get get away from us. Never minding the fact that Jeremy Rudd wrote a paper two weeks ago at the Fed basically saying they don't have tools to deal with it, that they don't have a model or a framework to deal with inflation. I happen to be in that camp and I can tell you, Dan Torillo in 2017, who was a Fed governor, also said that mm-hmm. we don't understand what causes inflation. That's right. Go, you know, I know a lot of people are going to hear me. And what what Torillo is and disagree. Go, of course we do. It's money. It's this. It's that. Torillo read through with his paper and he said, take whatever your favorite theory is. It's the monetary. It's M2. It's it's rational expectations. Uh, it's inflation, uh, anchoring of inflation expectations, whatever you have. Go ahead and model it. It comes up to a correlation of zero is what it comes up to. So we don't know why inflation was really big in the 70s. Oh, yes, we can say things after the fact. We don't know why it's been very low. We don't know why it's going up. And if that's the case, then we don't know if the Fed actually has tools to deal with it. Now, at the extreme, 
extreme interest rates can probably bend the curve on uh, on on inflation. But th- that's kind of the point. We don't want to get there. We don't yeah. want to have to drive rates up so much that we crush the economy like we did maybe in 1980, and then say, see, we got rid of inflation. Well, you, you caused a lot of pain and a lot of suffering along the way. So we're trying to avoid that. And the Fed is making you think, we've got little knobs and levers that we can turn and pull, and we can prevent it from getting out of hand. Now, I'm not so sure they do. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Do you expect interest? Do you feel like the interest rate, the moves we've seen, because we, we, we certainly we saw it on the front end, we saw uh, the break even rates, we saw action and tips. Do you feel like that's, that's priced in? The the rate I think they've got two on the books for the U.S. in 2022. By the way, we might be facing a situation where globally we're at different paces. I mean, we've been used to all central banks in easing mode, if you believe they have been. I know there's a debate on that, but and now we may be at different um, rates and or different paces, which is interesting too. But do you think that that rate action is priced in? What do you expect to happen with interest rates? Well, a couple of things. First of all. Um, Bank of America put out their global fund manager survey earlier this week. It's been around for 21 years, and it showed the most amount of bearishness in the history of this uh, bond bearishness in the history of the survey. Okay, all the contrarians are screaming, okay, that means buy bonds. Um, Yeah, that can be what it can mean, too. Or it could also mean we're going to go slicing through 2% here on the 10 year where we closed at 165 here for the week you know, in a couple of weeks, and we're going to be just going to bone-crushingly high interest rates. What it probably means is that the consensus forecast that everybody has Mm. is rates will gradually creep higher, you know, week after week in a low, volatile, boring kind of way, but go up. That's not what's going to happen. Uh, It's going to either be a dramatic rise in rates, put me down in that camp, uh, because I think that inflation is much worse than people think, or it will be a dramatic fall in rates. And if you had me to ask, why would rates zoom back down? Because we've already done too much damage to the economy with higher yeah. prices. And now we're going to wind up seeing real growth really start to crumble. I'm not so sure we're there yet or if we'll ever get there. So I'm more concerned about the idea that rates will continue to go higher. I just, I, I just spoke to Steve Van Meter earlier today, and he's in that camp. He thinks that, 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 that we're going to see demand <laughs> destruction and that that we're off on the rates. He's in the more of the deflation camp. But either way, you're seeing an outsized move. It sounds like either of those scenarios potentially bad for equities as well. Yeah. And, you know, and this is one of the reasons why I think that the Fed has to has to say inflation is transitory, mm-hmm. because one of the arguments that has been made, and I'm in this camp, is that $120 billion a month of bond buying and Fed support when they bought corporate bonds and corporate bond ETFs last year is all underpinning the rally that we've had in the market. Well, wait, they're not doing that anymore. Yes, but they've made it very clear that the minute that markets wobble, they'll come rushing right back. Now, what upsets that scenario? If you have persistent inflation, And if the Fed believes that they no longer can ease and they have to deal with inflation by tightening or removing accommodation, and even if the stock market wobbles, they can't come rushing back and throwing money at it. 
That's why the inflation story is so important, because it takes the Fed out of the equation if it becomes persistent. So what do we have now? We have record highs in tips, inflation break-even rates. Those are Treasury inflation-protected securities, not only in the United States at the five-year level, nearly at the 10-year level, we're less than 10 points away, but around the world as well, too. We've got inflation expectations by University of Michigan, the New York Fed surveys, all going parabolic right now. And we've got everybody talking about higher prices. And the Fed just keeps coming in and says, transitory, because they've got no choice. Because the minute that the Fed says, persistent, and stock market falls, then Jay might as well turn around and say, you're on your own. There's yeah. going to be no support from me. I can't, because if I try to support the stock market, we'll have 3% 10-year notes then at that point, or some yeah. uh, some outrageously high number. Yeah, it's a confidence game. That's that's what they're playing. By the way, we have a question um, that that I want to slide in here uh, from uh, Dr. As I write this, Powell's at seventy four cents on Predict. It's a site Jim references on Twitter. With the recent noise, what <laughs> odds are you placing on his reconfirmation? So uh, I'm going to go outside the box here and give you um, a, a thing. Uh, yes, he's seventy four cents. He's been as low as forty two this week when it came out. Free, so, so even Jay's one of the movers of the week. <laughs> right, right, right. He's a meme. He's a meme stock himself. Was all by himself. He, uh, that came out earlier in the week when um, the uh, American Prospect put out the story about his trading of stocks uh, as well this year. I'm going to put him slightly above 50-50. And I'm going to put him slightly above 50-50, even though predict it's at 74 cents for the following reason. I think he's a bargaining chip. I think he's a bargaining chip in Washington. If needed, they will use. Janet Yellen came out two months ago and said, Paul should get reappointed. That's the Treasury Secretary. And we still haven't had his name officially submitted. What do they need him for? The progressives and the moderates are not coming to an agreement on the budget, on spending, on infrastructure, and they need to get all of that because the debt ceiling is wrapped up with it too. The progressives are holding the line. They want more spending. They want more things that um, interest progressives. We got to give them something if you if if you can't have progressive levels of spending, and you have to give them something real. You just can't you know just say oh I'll give you something later or something ceremonial. You give them Jay Paul and you tell them that Leo Brainerd will be the Fed chairman. Again, if it is needed, I think Jay Paul is a bargaining chip right now. I know the Fed doesn't like it, but this is the reality that we live in. And I'm afraid that if I'm wrong and he's not a bargaining chip, then I don't know what you give the progressives in order to say, you can't take a $3.5 trillion spending package. You need to take a $2 trillion spending package. They're not going to agree to that unless you give them something real. And if they don't agree, we're going to have debt ceiling messiness. And I pick that word carefully because, yes, at the end of the day, at some point, the debt ceiling has to get um, raised. Otherwise, we wind up in total default and chaos and anarchy. But that doesn't mean it cannot be ugly and messy before we get there. And I do think we could see it get ugly and messy. But everything in Washington is ugly and messy. Let's face it. I mean, literally. But a long time ago, the, uh, a company that I used to work for um, wanted me to move there. And a very dear friend of mine said, you cannot possibly move to D.C. It's full of politicians and lawyers. And I never forgot that he said that. It was the best <laughs> advice that I got because I was in my 20s. And I'm not sure what would have happened to me if I moved yeah. down there. But I mean, you know, can I give you a, they, a, a, they played out this I, thing so many times, though, Jim, with the debt. Does anybody really believe that they're going to they're going to default? No, well, they're not going to default 
permanently, but they could wind up making it messy and ugly. So that let the me market just has out, to deliver the message. Yeah. Right. Not, yeah. Yeah. Let me let me let me remind everybody, or let me just su- suggest. We saw this four years ago. What we're learning about Washington is when one party is in control, it is harder to get your party to agree on stuff. Remember, they wanted to repeal Obamacare, the Republicans, four years ago, and that fell apart famously. Now the Democrats are in control and they can't agree on spending um, among themselves. They'd almost be better off having divided government and be forced to talk to Republicans because they're not doing that now in order to have some kind of a deal. Remember now, just to get real technical, the SEC has ruled that if you own a security, like a treasury bill, and it let's say it, it, it matures on December 3rd, and there is one that matures on December 3rd, and on December 3rd, we hit the debt ceiling, and you don't get paid on the 3rd. Maybe you get paid on the 4th, or maybe you get paid on the 5th. You have to value that security at zero. Now, if it's 5% of your money market, your money market's NAV is 95 cents. You just broke the buck. Yeah. And what do we remember from the financial crisis in 08? That was opening the gates of hell. The wheels is what come that off. was one right. The wheels right. come off because that. investors think the safest thing in the world is their money market fund. Every day it prints yeah. one dollar. Well, then you the have NAV. a run on coll- what we learned is you have a run on collateral, right? And, right. and Jeff Snyder sent some really great work on the collateral scarcity out there, and 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 you know there, there's so little transparency that once you get that sort of you know that type of. Uh, uh, momentum going. It's ju- You just don't want that. You just don't want that. So what I mean by messy is they're nowhere near an agreement. The market's got to make them get their mind right. How's the market got to make them get their mind right? It's got to get volatile and ugly and maybe sell off a little bit. But then we get caught in this catch-22. Well, they're going to come to an agreement. So the minute that it sells off 1%, I'll just buy it because it's going to go back. Well, wait a minute. We need them to get their mind right. Otherwise, they're going to push this right to the edge. And that's yeah. why I said it's going to be kind of messy and kind of ugly, I think, before we get yeah, there. But yes, eventually we'll we'll get past it, but not before some histrionics. But that that's a great point, Jim. And it's a, it's it's a kind of thing I remember, you know, during the financial crisis and the and the back and forth about what to do on the fly when the financial market was seizing up. Uh, that that you close out the U.S. Session And if you haven't heard any news overseas, everyone's trying to figure out what's going on in Washington. And as you know, rhetoric doesn't match up with action. And you have all of these, you know, maximizations that you're talking about. Interesting conversation today between Raul Powell and Jamie Rogozinski, the founder of Wall Street Bets. And Jamie was making the point that technology, and in particular blockchain, is really needed to improve the way markets operate. Let's have a listen to that. I think that that a lot of what blockchain can do, I don't think it'll ever replace. Uh, DeFi, sorry, what is it? The, the traditional uh, TradeFi uh, or Wall Street, but I think it can coexist and it can make it better. You know, like the take the simplest thing that, that to me always makes me laugh. Uh, you have twenty four hour, twenty four seven, right? Like that's the blockchain doesn't doesn't sleep, and that's the way that the markets should be. Not not because you have gamblers at three in the morning, but because it, Closing them poses a systemic risk. We had um, not too long ago this thing that happened with China and Evergrande, where they, you know, going to default on their thing, and so the markets freaked out. And by Monday morning, even when futures, uh, you know, all these things gapped gapped down because everyone was panicking. If you're a hedge fund that's not trying to take risks and trying to be careful about these things, 
these prices may have gapped over your stop price, right? And just throwing your entire risk model out of whack. And then I have to kind of run around and, and hurry up and rebuy and sell this thing and the other. And, and it should be a simple thing. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. And that was Jamie Rogozinski there of Wall Street Bets. Just a reminder that interview is available on uh, Real Vision Crypto, which is free to everyone. Just sign up and you can enjoy all the crypto content content that's there. Um, Jim, he brings up a really interesting point. I mean, do you think that we need to see changes in the way financial markets operate? Sure. I mean, um, let's look at the crypto space. It trades 24-7, 365 on instant settlement, at least if you're you know, purely into the crypto space. Uh, they've got the equivalent, I read somewhere that, you know, 74 years of trading when you compare it to the hours that the New York Stock Exchange is open right now. But what that does is I think people think, you know, too, you know, uh, myoptically, oh, why would I want to trade stocks at two o'clock in the morning? Well, yeah. It wouldn't be you. It would be all the American stocks are open to trade in dollar terms for the Europeans. Why would I want to trade stocks at 6 p.m.? That's for Asia. It opens up all the capital of the world to mm -hmm. your market because the capital of the world does not want to put in an order and go to bed and then wake up the next day and hope that they got filled. And so they want to get a quote, a bid and an offer during their hours, and they want to trade that stock like it's their own. Um, and the U.S. dollar is still the reserve currency. So, yes, I think if we were to open these markets 24-7, 365, that it would wind up enhancing markets, making them more efficient. I think this closing of markets, I think Jamie was right, it creates more problems than it solves longer term. And I think the, the two-day settlement, which we found from the, from the GameStop era with the, the problem with the shorts in the market in late January, also creates a lot of problems as well, too. Yeah, de definitely. It's some work that's done. I'm, 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 I can't wait to listen to the whole thing. I I'd love to see if they hit on the issue of transparency as well, because again, that's another another problem that we have that we need to, I think, do a better job with 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 the markets. Want to ask you about uh, speaking of crypto, the Bitcoin ETFs. We had another one launched today. Uh, not quite seeing the same kind of performance we did with ProShare, which came to the market earlier. You know, it's interesting. I see a lot of um, professionals sort of sounding critical. We've had articles even sounding critical, uh, a lot of conversation around the costs associated with them, but we saw big volumes there. Where do you come down on this? Yeah. So um, first of all, history shows first mover advantage for an ETF is a big deal. You're going to get a whole series of these coming out. And at the end of the day, I think the marketplace is going to settle on one, maybe two of them. You know, they're not going to have nine actively traded uh, Bitcoin ETFs. The other seven will just kind of die and they'll have very little volume as well, too. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the, the structure of buying futures contracts on an underlying security like the, the uh, Bitcoin ETFs are now is it reminds me of USO, the United States Oil Company version 2.0. Remember last year it traded at minus $40 because it got all messed up with the with the contango in the market and all of the other problems with delivery um, at the end of the uh, contract date uh, as well, too. It's not a good structure. I think what people will 
what they're hoping for is don't worry, Bitcoin will be up three, four hundred percent a year, and your fund will be up 180%. And you might want to ask, why am I not up 300%? Why am I up 180%? And then you'll say, well, who cares? I'm up 180%, right. uh, is what they're kind of hoping for with this. The better structure will be a spot ETF, which buys cryptos directly. So I understand that the holdup on that is that the SEC is worried about custody. Yeah. Who's going to hold, hold these ETF? Who's going to hold this Bitcoin? If somebody loses the keys, the whole thing goes to zero someday or something. And uh, so they're, they're, they're trying to work that out. Of course, the industry has it worked out and has had it worked out for a number of years. So hopefully that will come as well, too. Two, two questions coming in. Uh, one from Ralph uh, saying, I watched David Tepper was talking today. Uh, I didn't get a chance to see it uh, in its entirety, but he sounded sort of like he didn't see much opportunity out there. But he was neither bearish nor bullish. Where are you, Jim? He doesn't specify asset market, but <laughs> you can pick one. Right. I'll 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 try and guess what Tepper is saying because it's what a lot of people are saying. Look at all the markets; they're all up. You know, except for for uh, bonds, bond prices are down, but the rest of them are all up. Then go through what we understand is valuation. None of them are cheap. And even though the bond market's down, that one might be the most expensive of it all. So if you are a classically trained investor and you've passed your CFA and you understand who Graham and Dodd is, you're not going to find any value anywhere in the marketplace right now. Uh, but if you broaden your horizons to understanding meme stocks and understanding flows, then you could see some plays for momentum. And of course, that's a dirty word for the value crowd as well, too. And I think that that's where we're at right now. Um, I see momentum coming into the stock market. Every day the market is open, people commit money to the stock market. The most popular vehicle for that is S&P 500 ETF. Spiders is one is the big one right there. If you look at the S&P index, it just relentlessly goes up. Look at the Russell 2000. Yes, I know there's IWM, but it's not nearly as popular. It waffles in a completely different pattern as well, too. So I think that when people say, look, I got all this money in my account, uh, I'm going to have to put it, invest it somewhere. They're investing it in an ETF. They're investing it in a broad bet, bet on the markets, and the markets keep going up. Now, if the question is, um, what's got a cheap PE? What's, what looks cheap? What looks good on a value screen? Mm -hmm. The only things that look good on value screens are severely broken companies that have had a lot of problems, have too much debt, have had losses in the past, and normally you don't want to invest in those kind of companies. Now, there might be a value play coming down the road here you know, in the next several months, but right now it is definitely a momentum play. So I understand that argument that yeah. it's hard to find anything that gets exciting because when you look at traditional investment screens, there isn't anything that's cheap. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of people sort of keeping their powder dry and waiting. One more from Jose. Where do you see the price of gold in the next few months? Gold has frustrated me and I think a lot of gold bugs too. Yep. You have got uncertainty, a pandemic. You've got the biggest amount of inflation in 40 years. Gold should look like Bitcoin does and it doesn't. Now it's not going down. It's not going up. And so that's where the frustration is. What more does the gold market need? It's got everything working for it. Now, the argument is, is that it's being siphoned off into the crypto space. I believe that's probably partially true. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but for right now, I don't see anything that's out there 
that's really going to push gold up because it's got everything. Do we have? Do we not have enough inflation to get gold going up? Yeah. Do we not have enough worries about the financial system to get gold going up? I mean, what more does it need? Do we not have enough worries about political fighting to get gold up? No, we've got all that, and it just can't move. And that's no, why I said it's very frustrating. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If not now, when? Maybe never. Yeah. I think that's what people are worried about. Jim, as always, a lot of fantastic insight there. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was fantastic. And just a note for uh, everyone, if you, we were talking a little bit before, you can see that whole interview. If you haven't checked it out yet, Real Vision's own Weston Nakamura released a video on YouTube giving his take on the implications of the debut of the ETF Bitcoins and the future-backed Bitcoins. Um, that is available to all you're going to want to get a little bit more insight uh, to add to the great comments that we just got from Jim. Thanks so much to all of you for watching. As always, the conversation continues over on Real Visions Exchange. In the meantime, take care and good luck out there. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com.